0: Hey, everybody, this is Kelly Mahoney. You're listening to Dream Team Origins. This week, we're talking to Kevin Lewis. Hey, Kevin. Hey, uh,
1: how hey. are you?
0: Good, how are you?
1: Good.
0: So basically, I showed up in England to going to Hack Connie Yu, and I stumbled into this hostel where I was going to be uh, there with a bunch of people I didn't know. And, yeah, that's where, that's where everything kind of started. And that's where I met you.
1: Yeah, it was, I must say, it was a, quite, it was a slightly questionable hostel. Um, but it was pretty cool. Like, there were a whole set of hackathon organizers all descending upon this one tiny little building in Birmingham um, up the road from the venue of HackCon where they'd spend the next few days sharing stuff. Um, And it's pretty nice, you know, definitely added to this feeling of community. It wasn't just a conference. It was an experience, so to speak, that we were all sharing.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk a little more about that community?
1: Sure. So so it's a community of student hackathon organisers. And I know you've spoken about them already. the communities, I think, are slightly different depending on where you are. Major League Hacking uh, mainly supports two communities. There's one in North America, which is the one that you primarily engage with. And then there's one over in Europe, uh, which kind of... It started out being quite UK-centric, but thankfully kind of spread across Europe. Um, and it's pretty cool. Like. There are a whole set of organizers who really do just want to help other people realize that they're better than they thought they were over the course of a weekend. And they're happy to support brand new organizers in organizing their events even when they're done, which is pretty cool. Uh, and that's very much what this event was about, you know, sharing, uh, sharing experiences and lessons um, and having a bit of fun as well and getting to know one another.
0: Awesome. Uh, so do you want to tell me a little bit about what you're doing now?
1: So I study Creative Computing at Goldsmiths University of London. For those of you who don't know Goldsmiths, it's this reasonably small liberal arts union in Southeast London. Uh, I kind of call, call us the purveyors of the weird, wacky and wonderful. Uh, you know, you'll always walk around and you'll see some kind of cool art installation happening that you may or may not understand, but you just kind of accept that it's cool. Um, and so yeah so i study here at goldsmiths i have one more year of my degree to do uh, and for the last two years i'm finished now but for the last two years i ran the uh, the hacker club here uh, which was called hacksmiths yeah so uh so i'm now done with hacksmiths after two years of running it handed it off to a new set of organizers who i'm pretty confident uh, will you know continue running it and it will be great uh, i now run a company called underland it's a small company that does three things uh we Uh, We run events for technical people, so hackathons and conferences, not necessarily for students, but for anyone. Uh, We run technical training programs and also uh, do some development when people have projects that are interesting. Uh, So they're the three things we do. Uh, We also run a couple of first party events ourselves. The first one we've now announced, uh, which I'm really excited for, it's called You Got This, uh, and you know about it because you did the cool graphics for it.
0: So what was your inspiration for starting this company?
1: Oh, the company. Uh, so in the last two years, I've been running Hackness. I've worked with some really fantastic people uh, and I knew that that wouldn't be forever, you know, and eventually that would be handed off. But what I could identify is there's quite a few team members who I worked with over the two years I was running it who are really, really fantastic in doing exactly the three things Underland uh, are doing, the, the events, the training uh, and the development. And so we'd been playing around with the idea, like several of us spoke about staying up this company to, to do it in a more commercial setting once we were done with Hacksmith. Um, and Wilson uh, was the person who I ended up setting it up with and then I worked with other members of the, of the, uh, the ex-Hacksmith team um, you know, on a project-by-project basis. But it's really cool to you know, have uh, worked with these people who have great skills and that hasn't stopped when we've stopped running this club, but instead we can go and flourish and do other things with it.
0: So where do you see Underland or yourself being in five years? Oh
1: really doing what we're doing now like I really enjoy uh you know running events and teaching people technical skills and writing code uh and our aim is because at the moment we have a year left of our degree and we have this kind of cushion that is our student loan that you know covers our living costs um so at the moment we can start this company uh, you know and run it and in a year's time our, our plan is either it will be doing well enough that we can go and take a salary from it and do that when we graduate or we can go off and get jobs elsewhere, um, either part-time or full-time, and then use Underland as this body to, to run our own events through, but on a more ad hoc basis. So really, it's about seeing what this first year looks like for us. But personally, like I really enjoy teaching people technical skills, and I very much see myself doing that. And I like running events and facilitating events. To be fair, though, the events that I run very much have that same aim, which is to you know enable and upskill people uh, in, in their work.
0: When was the moment that you first realized that you found your place in tech or that you realized that you were actually really good at it?
1: Um, To be completely fair, I don't think I have. Like, you know, as time goes on, I work with more people and, you know, that's great. And people, You know say nice things which is fantastic and that helps me get along and get more jobs but really i still don't think i've carved that niche yet i'm still kind of just going along um one of the biggest challenges that we talk about is like feeling like we don't know enough and that's definitely something i have like uh, going into any given project i probably don't know 90 percent of the stuff i need to know to get to get through it um just putting on a brave face, acting like you do, fake it till you make it and all that and, uh, and go from there, really. Um, I don't think I've really found that niche yet um, or found that place. But as time goes on, I'm realizing what I enjoy, which is teaching. And, you know, from feedback, I don't, you know, quite a lot of people seem to respond quite well to my teaching style. Uh, so I'll just keep going with that. and Maybe I'll find a more specific niche as time goes on.
0: Yeah. So if you could identify one thing, uh, one driving force that makes, that gives you so much passion about doing this, would it be teaching?
1: It would definitely be teaching. Uh, when I first started at that, you know, that very first hack, I knew nothing. Like, I, I, you know, I knew how to use Photoshop, but in terms of technical skills, you know, writing writing code, I wasn't even really that good at what I was doing. I was just kind of pottering around, figuring out what buttons did as I went. But I was really fortunate to have, you know, a whole set of people around me who were willing to give me the time and the patience to, to get me through those first few events and get me, you know, that basic level of skill that I needed to go away and learn by myself. And really, I just want to do that for more people and give them what they need to, to go away and, you know, become great developers.
0: Yeah, definitely. So how did you get involved with the hackathon community?
1: Yeah, so um, so my very first hackathon was back in 2011. It was one aimed at, uh, at young people. It took place over the course of uh, the school summer holiday. So I was essentially, my hand was forced to go along to this hackathon in 2011. I felt like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I could kind of dabble around in Photoshop. I didn't know how to write code or anything. And it was really cool. And I went to that for a few years and really found a group of people that I could, uh, you know, I could see myself being part of. Went to a bunch more hackathons. Some of them were aimed at young people. Some of them weren't. The ones that weren't were primarily focused in kind of civic tech, government tech, you know, uh, building things that your average person on the street will use and impact them positively. Um, and over the course of the next few years, I'd go to more of those events. I'd end up working for the company that ran that uh, That summer event for young people. Uh, and through that I became aware of the student hackathon movement, um, which you know we shared some we shared some spaces, but for the most part they were a different community. And on a whim I applied to speak at Hackcon EU the very first one um, and got in and that's where I met everyone for the first time. Uh, all the student hackathon organizers and community leaders of that time. Uh, and then yeah, I came back again and again. I have to be honest, like at that very first hackathon that I went to, I was 13 or 14. I do remember the moment where I decided tech was something I was interested in though. So I must have been 12 or 13. I was in school and uh, I was sitting in the library and there was this one kid who mainly didn't speak to to many other people, uh, but all of the all of the computers had like this blue desktop wallpaper uh, that was set by the administrators at the school and you couldn't change it 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 just wasn't a thing and there was this one kid and he had a completely different interface on his on his workstation which was a still a school computer had like this orange background and I was really intrigued about how he'd achieved it so I went up and I said hey what what have you done to the computer I'm super interested Uh, I later found out it was it was fairly simple though I didn't know much at the time, which is he just bought in a USB stick with a Linux distro, which he could boot off the USB stick and that's what he was working off of. So he had access to some developer tools that he wouldn't uh, wouldn't have access to if he just booted into the Windows uh, instance, which was on all of the workstations. And we became friends, we chatted a bit more. Um, So I was kind of interested in how this person uh, broke the rules Uh, using just a little bit of of knowledge Um, and so that was it that I don't know why that moment stuck I was like that's really cool and he set up this kind of computer club in my secondary school and we went and we we mainly didn't do any projects but it was just a a point in time every week where we could meet up and chat about stuff which most of the student body just wasn't interested in Um, it wasn't focused around development just tech generally and then uh, through that um yeah I, I became interested in tech that was the moment that was pretty cool
0: so what kind of projects when you participate in a hackathon do you normally build
1: yeah so uh i actually have not taken part in a hackathon for the longest time i i struggled once i'd organized enough of them um It's really hard to take part as a participant and not feel, you know, obliged to help other organisers when little things go wrong. Uh, And I found it really hard to be a participant, but I have taken part in a few over the last three or four years. Um, And it depends what the theme of the hackathon is. If it has a heavy like social good theme, I'll always build something to theme. If it's a more generic community hackathon, I always build something silly, you know, creative or artsy or, or funny. Um, and just use them as small little throwaway projects. And because they're not serious projects, I don't have to feel bad if I don't manage to complete them.
0: A lot of people face the pressure at a hackathon where they feel like they have to have something at the end of it. Um, Based off of your answer, do you feel that pressure or do you see how that pressure affects your colleagues?
1: Oh, 100%, Um, that's one of the biggest challenges with the format of a hackathon is you have 24 hours and at the end of the day, you only get a couple of minutes, you know, if it's a presentation or a couple of minutes, even if it's a science fair, just, you know, to show off the fruits of your labor. And if you haven't got anything to show, that can be pretty demoralizing. Um, What I always, always try and do is start with something super, super small. Might not be that impressive, but at least at the end I'll have something to show and then build on top of it. It's one of my biggest pieces of advice to people going to hackathons is really start small. You might have this big picture idea, but start small and then think about how you can build on top of it. And I very much take that methodology into other projects I do, a piece of coursework I did a few months ago, I only committed to building something very small and there were a whole bunch of kind of additional little top ups that I could do to make it that bit better. But I only committed to something small, which means I will deliver. And then anything more I do is bonus rather than committing to something huge uh, and then struggling to get to the end goal.
0: What was your favorite piece of swag that you ever got at a hackathon or, or your favorite piece of swag that you ever gave out at a hackathon as an organizer?
1: Okay, so last year, um, I helped out uh, a group, uh, group running the Non-Binary in Tech Conference, um, which is repeating again this year. I'm not involved in it this year. And the person who was kind of the, the lead for the event and the person raising all the money, you, uh, came to me and said, I was managing the budget, came to me and said, I really want to give away pop sockets And we looked at the cost of them and they went way over the kind of the general cost per head for a piece of swag that we go with um and we ended up going for it because ultimately you've worked really hard and raised enough money for the event that they could spend it however they want to be honest like they were the ones who did the work to raise it and i am so happy that they did it was such an amazing and useful piece of swag and um, for those of you who don't know pop sockets like little adhesive uh, round things they stick to the back of your phone and they pop out and they you, they either allow your phone to stand up or you can like put your fingers behind them to get a better grip on your phone So we created custom branded PopSockets and they were great. They're a super useful item, which stayed on people's devices for ages. um, And I definitely enjoyed using mine too.
0: So going back to running events, do you have any advice for organizers that might be listening?
1: I think, I've said this to a few people, I think one of the key skills that makes an okay organizer into a great organizer is how you handle pressure and difficult uh, decisions you need to make on the fly. A lot of people have the tendency to panic when things go wrong. It's a pretty natural reaction. Uh, But once you realize that, you know, whatever the problem is, we will be able to sort it and the best way to sort it is to take it, you know, and be calm and collected, because that will help you make a quicker, more efficient decision. That's what turns people into great organizers. And it's really hard. And it's not something you you can do straight off the bat. But over time, it's a very, very valuable skill to have.
0: Did you have any mentors during your time?
1: Oh, so I had a couple of people in particular, um, who, you know, took me under their wing and supported me. Uh, when I ended up working uh, working for the company who ran that week-long kind of youth hackathon and also ran the, the hackathons for corporates and, and government and stuff like that, um, Julia and Nat were two of those people um, who essentially taught me a lot of these skills and the whole, like, take difficult, uh, take difficult situations and act calmly to get the most efficient uh, answer which definitely came from them. Um, really fun to work with cool people as well. Um, most of the really troubling uh, situations I've had as an organizer really troubling ones were quite early on and they stemmed from not having enough communication with people organizing and just being part of a delivery team so you kind of just get dropped into a, to a situation where everything's going wrong, and you have no idea what's been organised, you have no idea what conversations have happened with vendors, and you just have to roll with it and solve one fire at a time. It was one of the first few events that I was part of the organising team on, and while it wasn't great, I'm so happy it happened. Because essentially, there are very few issues that can compare to what happened at that event. So now something happens, I get to a venue the day before to set up and no chairs or tables have arrived. Or, you know, we realize we never asked for internet and we're about to have 300 people come to a space and there's no internet. You know, none of these are real issues once you've dealt with something at such a big scale. And if you can be calm, you can solve any of them.
0: How does it feel in the moment though? Like what's going through your head?
1: Lots of words that I'm not going to say on this podcast. I mean, it's mainly frustration, isn't it? That situations happen because that sucks. You know, it sucks when something goes wrong. But you have a choice in that moment, whether you're going to let it consume you and then you become quite panicky and you're either not able to make decisions at all or the decisions you make maybe aren't the most uh, aren't the most grounded or you impact the rest of your team because you can't show leadership because you're the one freaking out big time. If so you can internalize that and just come out with a plan and people just get on with it. You know, that's how you solve problems. Yeah, that's how you solve problems. But post event, when things go wrong, I, I do like a little bit of a moan. And, you know, having that release with my close friendship group means that, you know, to anyone who isn't part of that friendship group, I can never have to mention it again, which is good.
0: Can you talk a little bit about pre-event um, and the, pre- the preparations and anything that stands out to you as far as um, making sure that you get it done or any stressors or anything that you think you could pass on to help people pre-event?
1: Yeah, I, again, this is very specific, like just talking events generally, obviously formats change, so we'll, we'll stick with hackathons. Like if you think about it, there are only very few things you need for an event. You need a room. You need some food. You, you don't even need food, to be honest. But, you know, if you've promised food, food. And you need some people in the room. If anything else goes wrong, it does not matter. Um, as you'll remember, when we trained to be coaches, we as part of our interview process and our training process, we had to do a number of fake scenarios to see how we would handle them. Uh, And then we were told afterwards that they weren't fake, these things really happened. And one of the scenarios is something like two organizers are fighting because there's a breakout room with animals and one of them thought they were going to be puppies and one of them thought they were going to be kittens and they're having a bit of a fight because there was this miscommunication. None of that matters. All that matters is that your attendees are safe, That. They're happy, although as long as they're safe, I don't really care if they're happy. You know, but if they're, they're safe, they're happy and your food's going okay. You only need very few things to make it work and everything else is additional. Um, have good relationships. Security are the group that can make or break an event. We're lucky at Goldsmiths that we have a pretty good relationship with our security team. Uh, where I know other uh, other organizing teams uh, have a challenge with their security teams and they make their events quite difficult on the day. Be nice, even if you aren't feeling that great, either because you're stressed out or something hasn't gone to plan. Uh, You know, if you're not nice either to your attendees, your team members or other, you know, parts of your event, other vendors or, you know, other people you're relying on, it will then further impact the rest of your event. And then finally, just be clear at communicating. Uh, if you need something done, it's not a problem. On the day isn't the time for passive aggressiveness, which I've seen quite a lot. If you need something done, just ask someone, be as clear as possible so they can go and, you know, make your event great and be calm. You know, if things go wrong, be calm, but we spoke more about that. There's one, there's kind of a mantra that I have, which is like everyone's your, like everyone you work with is your friend. Whether you're a sponsor, whether you're a team member, whether you're security, you're my friend, and I will treat you like that, and I'll treat you well, like I treat my friends, because I think that's a much better relationship to have than a, you know a very impersonal, cold one, and it generally serves me quite well.
0: So you seem like a busy guy, with everything going on. How do you manage your time?
1: About a year ago, I signed up for a to-do list account. It gamifies your to-do list. Uh, you know, you can earn karma. Um, you can turn it off if it's not your jam, but it it is my jam i I love being incentivized by by some kind of game and and so i became almost unhealthily addicted to reaching my karma every day which definitely helped managing all of my projects and managing my time but it kind of came at the expense of my sanity like i was i was spending a lot of time on things um now uh, at the beginning of each week, I literally just map out my week. I, at a week level, I look at what are my biggest priorities in the week? What are the most horrible tasks? I don't really want to get done, but that they're, they're big priorities. And then I break that down on a per day basis. And at the beginning of every day, I, I forgot whose methodology this is, but it's called like eat that frog, which is, uh, you know, if you. Do one thing, if you eat a frog at the beginning of the day, at least when you get to the end of the day, you can say, I, I did that big, horrible thing I didn't want to do. Uh, so I always start with the the kind of the worst task of the day. And then the other tasks don't seem that bad. And I do that on a week level as well. And that's kind of what I do. And then at the end of each week, I just think about like, what did I manage to achieve and what did I not manage to achieve? Why is that? And how can I improve next week? Uh, which is a bit more healthy than 10 tasks every day or I feel shit because I broke my karma.
0: Awesome. Um, So you live in London. Uh, What's the tech scene like in the big city?
1: Yeah, uh, varied, big because there's a lot going on in this city. Um, I did also live in Birmingham for a couple of years. and the answer is the same in both really which is I think it's a very vibrant busy community but it's also quite disconnected so you have uh, you have the student organizer community and you have you know startup communities and biz dev communities and you have you know blockchain and AI and machine learning communities uh, and not that they have to overlap I think their goals are very different but they don't often talk to each other so on a macro level I think it's a bunch of smaller communities. When you get down to one of those, so let's say the student hacker community, um, I think people do do talk and do collaborate. There have certainly been events, you know, that are cross-university. People travel to each other's events and make a, you know, and make a trip out of it and take their groups with them. Um, and that's not just in London, but in the further region of the UK and Europe. Because ultimately, um, the region's smaller and it's easier and cheaper to travel around. So we, I find that a lot of organizers in the EU are happy to help other organizers in Europe um, because they just want to make their events a success. Let's scale that down from just to the UK. I will happily jump on a train for people who I can get to within three or four hours, which is most people in the country, to help them out and volunteer. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. There are kind of loads of little communities, well, not even little, loads of communities that all specialize in something um, that don't often talk to each other.
0: So I walked into the Hackon EU completely not knowing anybody, literally just showing up because I got a random email. And my experience with the Hackathon community in the EU has been wonderful. Every time that I feel like I've been put into a situation at in tech or with hackathons that I don't know anybody, I feel like I've been welcomed with open arms. Did you feel the same way?
1: Oh, absolutely, 100%. From that very first hackathon I went to where uh, I said, I don't know anything and people were happy to help me, all the way through to exactly what you say, somewhere like HackCon where you have loads of event organizers, people are always happy to help, people are always happy to share experiences. Um, All you need to do is ask. Uh, So if you're interested, I'm running a one-day conference uh, on the 19th of January 2019 in London called You Got This. Uh, So it's a one-day conference for junior developers, designers, pretty much any creatives on mastering a happy, healthy work life. Instead of talking about technical topics, instead we'll be talking about skills that require emotional labor, like combating imposter syndrome, that feeling that you're not good enough, or performance reviews and how they work and how you can ace them. Uh, or saying no and having a, health, a healthy work-life balance. So these are the kind of topics we'll talk about. Uh, it should be really fun. Uh, we'll be releasing a call for proposal soon so people can propose talks that they want to do, and then we'll be releasing tickets shortly after. So if you're interested in learning more about the event, you can go to yougotthis.io and read more there.
0: Stay tuned after the credits to see if Kevin would rather work in an office or remote. Dream Team Origins is voiced by me, Kelly Mahoney. The special guest this week is Kevin Lewis. The music is by Cutside. Sweet or salty? Both. Pen or pencil? Pen. Twitch or YouTube? YouTube. All black or colorful? All black. Would you rather be in nature or indoors?
1: Definitely indoors.
0: Would you rather travel in a group or alone? Alone. Would you rather walk or take public transit?
1: It depends how far I'm walking.
0: Let's say it's a mile or so.
1: Oh, I'll walk.
0: Would you rather work remote or be in an office setting?
1: Oh, that's so hard. I I work better in an office, but I hate getting out of bed. So, mm, office.